0: 2020, a little bit has changed in just the past 10 years alone. In fact, there are some differences just from 10 years ago to now, a new decade. But think about this for just a moment, okay, some of the differences here. Uh, Instagram launched in 2010, so it was only 10 years old. Uh, Twitter was not the angry rant machine that it is today. Now, Facebook was up and running. Uh, but in 2010, it had 500 million users. That sounds like a lot, because it is. Uh, but in 2020, as of right now, there's 2.3 billion users on Facebook right now. YouTube was only a few years old. Today, 300 hours of content are uploaded to YouTube every single minute. Think about that. What this means is that our culture is not short of information, but what our culture is short and missing is meaning. Because everyone becomes an expert. Everyone wants to be noticed. Anything can go viral at any moment, at any time. And so it's not that we need more information. It's, it's that we need transformation. The iPhone in 2010, although it wasn't brand new, we were on generation four. And the idea of a smartphone was still kind of nuanced at the time, whereas now, if you don't have a smartphone, you, you seem almost ostracized or, or left out. Amazon was not the behemoth that it was or is today. I think the craziest thing I've seen is that in my own life is that I ordered something off of Amazon at three o'clock in the afternoon and I got it that day. That's a little different (laughs) than their culture was just a few years ago, okay? But this is the world we live in. Uber, again, these ideas, Uber really wasn't in existence yet. Uh, A lot of the major businesses, Netflix, okay, Blockbuster had an opportunity to buy Netflix for $50 million in the year 2000. And they turned it down because they did not think Netflix was going to be worth it. But then in 2010, Netflix introduced this new idea of streaming media. And here we are 10 years later, Blockbuster no longer exists, and Netflix is the behemoth worldwide as we know of it. Work no longer, like you no longer go to work, but work comes to you. And it's tough because while we love access to everybody and all things, everybody and all things seems to have access to us now because of the devices and the emails and the media and so we battle this. And so it, what's been interesting is that as the years have gone on, 2020 versus 2010, it seems like our culture has actually gotten more divisive. And it seems as though our culture has actually gotten more anxious and more worried because there's more things to worry about. Because we are bombarded every day by the tragedies in the world and the pressures to measure up and the image to live up to. And so now, while we live in the most educated, most technologically advanced, the most really medically healthy of any period in all of world history, we're also the most medicated, anxious, angry (laughs) of any generation in history as well. It's an interesting thing is that the more access to information you have, it seems like the more angry or anxious you become. Because it's not that we're searching for more information, we are searching for transformation and we're searching for meaning. We've even, we've even gone from a DIY, like do it yourself, to a DIFM, please do it for me. Uh, and, and you can see this because when you go into a grocery store right now, one of the first things you see are pre-packaged meals. I mean, to the point where we don't even have apples, we do, but then right next to it, you have the packages of pre-sliced apples. How convenient and awesome is that, but also how lazy are we that we're like, man, I want an apple, but I don't want to take the 30 seconds to cut it. I'm going to take that back, right? This is the world we live in. We want everything curated for us. We want our media. We want clothes, we want everything we purchase online, we want immediate access, we want it individualized, customized to fit our needs. And then we come to faith and we want that as well, right? So the world is completely different than it was 10 years ago. But thankfully, thankfully, some things are the same. For example, here's the trophy case for Michigan football. Okay, you can see this. (laughs) 10 years ago. To present day hasn't changed. We (laughs) we praise God for some consistency, amen? (laughs) For those that know me, I'm a big Ohio State fan, and I'm still sad over last Saturday night. But that was a great game. But At least I know that Michigan fans are hurting worse than I am. So that's why I put that in there. So in all seriousness, though, we find ourselves in a community, and and here's how I would describe our society. We we live in a society where people are smart, but they're stressed, right? There are more educated people with graduate or collegiate graduate and, and postgraduate degrees than ever before in American history, but yet we're stressed out. We're in community. There are more suburban cultures than ever before and larger communities than ever before and online communities that now we have access to for people in the same interests as we have. So we're in community, yet we feel alone. We're busy, but yet overwhelmed. Isn't it interesting that when technology came out, The fear was that people weren't sure what they were going to do with all their free time now that technology had freed this up for them. But let me ask you, do you feel more or less busy than you did 10 years ago? (laughs) More. Because again, it's that access all the time. You're never fully on, but you're never fully off. And so there's just this uneasiness and you feel overwhelmed all the time. There's also this idea of people are spiritual but they're not religious. I've talked to people who are fearful of where our country is going, spiritually speaking. And, and there's some validation there, is that our country seems to be moving away from God. But my encouragement rests in the fact that God promised to build his church, and that for 2,000 years, the church has grown and existed in every culture, in every country, and in every generation across the world. And so while our country seems to be moving away from God, the reality is, is that we are on the edge of a revival, and that when the world gets darker, the light of the gospel signs brighter. And so I believe 2020 could be a spiritual revival throughout our community and our country, and it starts With us, we have a group of people who, it's not that they don't believe in God, it's just they've lost trust in the church. So they're spiritual, but they're not religious. Or there's people that think, man, I I am successful outwardly, but I'm inwardly searching, especially in this area, North Phoenix, Scottsdale, Cave Creek area. This the idea of keeping up an image or appearance, and, and maybe you've gotten all the things, you've gotten the bells and the whistles, and then you, you go home at night, but when you put your head down on your pillow, you're like, man, is that it? I thought it would give me more. And so here's where we find ourselves, and so over the course of this series called Starting Line, we're going we're gonna to talk about some principles and practices that you can implement into your life about how you could possibly achieve those goals that you've been wanting to go after this year. But before we go into the hows, in the first message of a new decade, new year, we want to set a healthy foundation about, really, where do we need to start? If we're going to launch into the new year, new decade, where where does it begin? And so... I want to share with you a formula that comes straight out of scripture, and I believe if you apply this formula to your life, you're going to be much better off going after those goals that you're searching for. And the formula is this. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Person plus purpose plus power equals passion. Person plus purpose plus power equals passion. Here's where this plays itself out in Scripture. If you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 20, or you can open an app on your smart device. Or if you do not own a Bible, we'd love to gift gift you one. We have a nice You know, leather imitation, it's actually a really nice Bible, Um, at the guest services table, uh, ESV, the same version I preach out of, and if you do not own a Bible, we'd love to give you one today as our gift on your way out the door. But if you have your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, and to set the stage, Jesus has just risen again. He died on the cross, three days go by, he is resurrected, he is alive Some ladies are the first to see him. But his followers, the disciples, have not seen Jesus yet. They've not met Jesus. And so they are huddled in a room. These are the guys that were the closest band of brothers to Jesus. And they were locked in a room for fear of their lives. This is not the powerful the bold, the courageous disciples that we think of when we read scripture. This is the terrified, the the cowardly. Peter had denied Jesus three times. Judas had betrayed Jesus. Thomas was about to doubt Jesus. And so they walked day in, day out with Jesus for over three years, but they just saw their leader killed. They thought, well, It's over. If they killed him, if they killed God, how long is it for them to kill us? So let's just lock ourselves in a room and figure out what we're going to do next. And so here is the setting we find ourselves in. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, that does not sound like a motivated group, does it? But I love the setting. Just stick with me here. Jesus came and stood among them and said, notice he came through, miracle. Okay, the door was locked. All of a sudden, boom, Jesus is there. It's crazy, right? And Jesus said to them, boo! Okay, no, that was what I would do, right? I'm just going to be transparent. I I may or may not have scared my children a few times. It's a lot of fun. When they walk in, they search for you, and then you're like, ah, and they go, ah, and you're like, oh, okay, sorry, you're scared. Here, come here. And then you can be the good parent and then comfort them, even though you were the ones that caused the distress in the first place. But Jesus, thankfully, is not like me and did not scare the disciples. He comes in, and the first thing he says is, peace be with you. And when he had said this he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. Jesus could say peace be with you because he himself was peace. For reference write this down Ephesians 2:14. Ephesians 2:14 because Paul writes that Jesus himself is our peace. Understand this, that the disciples were not radically changed into bold, courageous, world changers because they said, oh, now I get the Sermon on the Mount. Oh, I get it. I get that parable now. Okay, now let's go take this world. No, they locked themselves in the room until Jesus, the resurrected Savior, enters it and says, peace be with you. Because peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of Jesus. And so our prayers for 2020 should not be, Lord, please just make us safe, help us stay in our gated communities, and nothing go wrong, and at the end of it, We made it. Like, I understand that we pray for safety. That's practical. I'm not saying don't pray for that. But what I am saying is that Jesus did not die to make us safe. He died and rose again to make us dangerous. And that if Jesus conquered death and he enters into your life, then there is nothing that is impossible with God. That you can do all things through him who strengthens you. That it was the very person of Jesus, his presence, that radically transformed the disciples. Let's continue reading. Verse 21. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even I am sending you. So notice there's the person of Jesus. And then he gives them purpose. He says, I am sending you out. I am giving you A mission. In the Gospel of Matthew, he goes on to give them what's called the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of the entire world. And his encouragement is that, for I will be with you to the end of the age. Now, I've shared this with some of you, and it's one of my favorite student ministry stories, and so I'll share it again, is that we were doing a a kid's camp on a student mission trip, And the kids were supposed, and the students, um, I won't name the high school student who's now not a high school student, um, but they were supposed to memorize verses, and he was stressed out about memorizing a verse, and so he decided to write it on his hand. And so he stood up to, to recite Matthew 28, and he said, Behold, I am with you to the end of the day. And no joke, a little first grader leaned over to me because I was in the back of the room. and goes, if he can't memorize it, how can I memorize it? <laughs> and so we had some laughs. But the truth is, is that that verse says, for I am with you always to the end of the age. The, the amount of time that God is with you does not have an expiration date. It's not like a gallon of milk in the fridge that God is with you. But once that date passes, oh, you missed your chance. It's the fact that God is with you, the person of Jesus that changes everything, and then he gives you a purpose. He takes what you do, and he changes the context of the reason you do it. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat, drink, or whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. In the case of many of the disciples, they were fishermen. Jesus told them, he says, I will make you fishers of men. Now, that was a contextualized phrase. If they had a different profession, he would change that analogy because he's saying, you are no longer just doing X. You are doing this to bring the kingdom of heaven down. You are not living culture up. You are living kingdom or heaven down. You are bringing a slice of heaven into your relationships, into your workplace, and now everything that you do has purpose because you are doing it for the glory of God. He says, "As the Father has sent me, I am sending you." Well, you have the person, and you have the purpose. But again, these were uneducated disciples who were fearful, who locked themselves in a room hiding. How is this group? How is this group going to change the world? Well, let's continue reading, verse twenty-two. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them. Now, just pause for a second. That seems weird, right? I am, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. (sighs) Woo, Jesus. Three days in a grave, my friend. You need a breath man or something. I don't know. It seems odd, right? It does seem odd until you understand that the picture of the Holy Spirit, the word for Holy Spirit, is the same word pneuma where we get the word wind. And so the idea of breathing life into you is all, found all throughout the Old Testament and then it's found in the Gospels to represent the Holy Spirit. And then later, actually, in, in the letters Paul writes to Timothy, he says all scripture is God breathe, because he breathes life into you. And so what he's saying here, he says that he breathes life into them. and says, receive the Holy Spirit. That is a command. And he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness of any, it is withheld. What he's saying is not that the power is within the disciples, but that his power is going to be inside of them. And so that when they speak the word of God to people, the Holy Spirit will move. And that you don't have to change the world because the Holy Spirit through you will change the world. And so he gives you the very power to do the things that he's called you to do. God would not order something off the menu if he did not have the ability to pay for it when the bill came. Does that make sense? God has called us to something greater. And so he gives us the person himself. Then he gives us a purpose saying, now, go out and change the world. And then he gives us the power to go and do that. Tim Keller puts it this way, that as a new creation, your identity is not achieved, it is received. Jesus did not say, go out and earn the Holy Spirit. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And just that switch, that change, That your identity is not achieved, it is received, could radically change your year of 2020 because you are no longer living for your identity, you are now living from your identity. And it's not that I have to memorize everything in this book, it's that when you get to know Jesus, He changes everything. And when you know Jesus, He gives you a purpose. And when you have that purpose and then you live in the power of the Spirit, man, there is nothing that you can't conquer in 2020. Person plus purpose plus power equals passion. And that is the energy that you take into everyday life. Now this applies on all fronts. This applies in your faith. Some of you come to church because you think, okay, this is the... This is the check I need to do. Okay, I need to, I need to come to church. Okay, I'm just here to tell you that hearing a story is not going to change your life. Listening to a message is not going to change your life. It's understanding and knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That will change your life. And he will change your life. And when you do that, now everything that you do now is with purpose. Because you're doing that as a child of God. And now you're entering 2020, not on your own strength, but through the power of Jesus. And the power of the Holy Spirit that you have received, not that you have achieved or earned. So that impacts your faith. This formula also impacts your relationships. So for me, for example, for, for marriage, i am thinking about the person that I'm married to. Okay, that's, that's my best friend. Married for 13 years. I love that Andrew and Morgan were engaged on December 23rd. That was the exact day, December 23rd, that my wife and I got engaged. And if you're lucky enough to marry your best friend, marriage is not some checkbox Marriage, yep, got it. No, marriage is a relationship. It's about the person. It's about knowing someone and them knowing you. And that our purpose is to go through this adventure called life together and to to bring the best out of each other. One of the things that clicked for me when I knew I wanted to marry her was that she made me want to be better. Like I wanted to be better for her. It didn't mean I didn't mess up or make a lot of sarcastic jokes that got me into trouble. But the truth is, is that at the end of the day, okay, it's about the person. It's not about the marriage. It's about the person, right? And our purpose is to grow closer to God and then closer to each other. And to know and to be fully known. And then the power behind that is love. And when you understand that, that filters your conversations, That filters how you make decisions. That filters the relationship. So you're going to go through ups and downs. And if marriage becomes a checklist, then there's going to come times where it seems dry or it seems there. But if you want the passion in your life, you understand that it's the person, it's the purpose, and then it's the power behind that. Same thing for me with kids. You know, understanding the uniqueness of each of my children. Understanding that it's not about getting them to behave, it's about getting them to become who God has called them to be. And that simple shift of behavior to becoming radically changes how you parent. Because being in the young kid's phase, like I understand half of your time you're saying no, and the other half of your time you feel like you're a crazy person. right? But again, the purpose is that you are raising to help kids become who God has called them to be. Now, I fall short in many areas, but one thing things I want to always encourage and instill in our kids is who God has called them to be and not just tell them what's wrong, but reinforce what's right. So every day when we drop off at school, I always tell our kids to do two things. I say, okay, okay, hey guys, what are you supposed to do? And every day I have them say a lot, okay, be awesome, be kind. Are we going to get every assignment? No. Are we going to mess up? Yes. Has dad may or may not have forgotten to pick them up and got called by the office? Maybe, hypothetically speaking, if you judge me. Then no, that's not happened. Okay? But every day I want them to know, be awesome, be kind. Because it's about becoming, not behaving. Now those are my relationships. You can apply the same thing in your relationships. What has God called you to be? Who he's called you to be? This idea of the person plus purpose plus power equals passion and if you're lacking passion and you're lacking energy in your relationships examine which one of those three are you missing are you not being fueled by the holy spirit are you not being fueled and motivated by love or do you not have purpose inside because you're not just trying to survive the day you're trying to actually raise up the next generation right and then are you talking about expectations or is it starting with the person of who they are And then, lastly, this formally impacts your personal life. Kerry Newhoff puts it this way: He says, "You should work twice as hard on your character as your competency. Whatever skill set you have, whatever skill set that's put you into business, competency might have got you there, but it's character that'll keep you there. It's character that develops your reputation." It's character that creates a legacy. It's character that lives long past the time you're employed at a particular place. And so when you think of yourself, don't necessarily think, what do, you, what do you need to do? But start with, okay, who do I want to be? And if you're like, okay, John, this is a little religious for me, this is a little spiritual. Okay, put it this way. If you want to live a healthy Lifestyle, ask yourself the question, okay, what would a healthy person do? What would a wise person do? And act in that way. You see, you start with who you want to be and who you are, and then you act. And it gives you a filter for decision making. And when you understand who you are, that gives purpose to everything that you do, and then you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you understand that Jesus changes everything. Person. Plus purpose plus power equals passion. And I don't know about you, but in an age where we are bombarded by everything, I think we could all use a little bit more energy and passion going into this new year. And so I want to close with this kind of an odd question, but I want you to write this down Are you a carrot, an egg, or a coffee bean? Are you a carrot, an egg, or a coffee bean? Here's what I mean by that. I want you to picture life as a boiling pot of hot water. Everything that you're going to go through in this next year that is difficult, that is challenging, that adds heat or pressure into your life. Now, if you stick a carrot into A pot of boiling hot water, what happens? It gets soft and it's weakened. I hope that none of you end this year described that way. Because when tough times come, it's easy to be weakened, right? But no one aspires to be that. Okay, so you don't want to be the carrot. But what happens when you put an egg in boiling water? It gets hard. Sometimes that describes people, doesn't it? They go through a difficult circumstance or a situation, and they get hardened. They make it through, they survive, but they don't trust. They're not open. They're closed off to the world, right? Well, we, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> I don't think anyone wants to get to the end of the year and says, man, my, my heart's really been hardened we don't want that what happens when you put a coffee bean in hot water it transforms the water into coffee the carrot is weakened by environment the egg is hardened by the environment but the coffee bean transforms its environment And when you have your identity in Christ, you're going into the new year like a coffee bean. There are going to be some hard times that come. But when those times come, are you going to be weakened? Are you going to be hardened? Are you going to transform it? The reason I love this story, and it's actually based out of a book called The Coffee Bean, if you're interested, by John Gordon and Damon West. But the reason this story is interesting is because the guy who shared it, his name was Damon West, learned this lesson when he was in prison. He entered prison, and for, he got put in prison. He was supposed to receive a life sentence because he was uh, stealing stuff uh, to try to buy drugs, to buy specifically meth. And so he was given 65 years, pretty much a life sentence, And when he went into the prison, this guy, Damon West, in one of the first few days, met an older, older gentleman. He called him Mr. Jackson, and Mr. Jackson shared this analogy with him. And going into the most difficult situation in his life, supposedly locked up for all of his life, he decided not to be weakened. He decided not to be hardened. He decided to transform the environment that he's in. It was in prison that he reconnected with his faith that he had, From a childhood. He reconnected with God, with the person of Jesus. He had a new purpose in life, and then he lived by the power of the Spirit, and that he actually found spiritual freedom in physical captivity. And he took that mindset of being a coffee bean, as silly as that is, and radically changed his perspective, and started impacting people in the prisons to the point where he lived such an exemplary life within such extreme conditions that when the parole board came, he was released. And now, wrote two best-selling books, travels the country, and shares this message of the coffee bean. And he actually shares this all across the country that changed his life and now is changing others because you do not have to be weakened by your circumstances. You do not have to be hardened by your environment, but you can transform it with the right attitude that starts with a personal relationship with Jesus. As the band comes up on stage, I'd love for you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And I want you to just think for a moment, what is your biggest challenge you have going into this year? What what is the biggest challenge that you have or the biggest question mark or the biggest doubt that you have? And I want to pray for you in that challenge or that doubt that you have. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it's my prayer that as we go into this new year, it starts by having a personal relationship with you. That it's not about hearing a message, but it's about connecting with you, our Lord and Savior. And God, when we do that, you give us a purpose to go and to make disciples, to to love you and to love others. And God, we can do that because of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we achieved, but that we received in you. God, I pray for everyone in this room that whatever challenge they're facing going into 2020, I pray that they will not be like the carrot and weakened by their circumstances. God, I pray they will not be like the egg that's hardened by what's happened to them. But God, may we be like the coffee bean. And whatever pressures and situations we face, may we transform our environment because we have been given new life in you. We love you, God, and we give this year and these challenges to you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.